0: Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, a look back at four years of Trump coverage. So the election is finally upon us, a week and a half away. And we thought this would be a good opportunity to look back at what we've just lived through over these last four years in terms of the media's attention on Donald Trump. This is a subject that's going to be picked over and analyzed a lot over coming weeks and months, really regardless of what happens on the election. I'm really excited today to have two colleagues of mine join us, John Alsop and Pete Vernon, both of whom have written CGR's daily newsletter, The Media Today. And as a result, they've been sort of in the guts of this Coverage and of analyzing the coverage and of dissecting the coverage every day throughout the Trump presidency. It's it's a it's tough <laughs> and it's exhausting, but they've written just a fantastic piece sort of summarizing what they make of all this in CJR. And I welcome them both, Pete and John. Welcome back.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Good to be here. It's so good to um to have both of you here. So, Pete and John just as a bit of background both were CJR fellows which is a program that CJR has for new graduates of the Columbia Journalism School come to CJR and and sort of become part of our staff Pete started this CJR newsletter right after the Trump election it's sort of astonishing to think now but CJR at the time didn't have a newsletter and it's also worth noting that Pete sort of helped start this podcast back in the day so let's start with you Pete so First off, welcome back, not only to CGR, but also to America. You, f- you
2: fled screaming when? When did you leave? Uh, October 2018. Right. You know, after two years of writing the newsletter, it seemed like things had really calmed down <clears> and <throat> there wasn't going to be much news in the second half of the term. So it was uh, a good time to get out. Right. And I joked about fleeing. But you actually <laughs> went to Botswana and taught school, right? Yeah, uh, I was over there for um, almost two years uh, teaching high school English and history. And then why in in the world would you come back now? Uh, I mean, it couldn't be a more interesting time to come back in terms of media, but uh, the real reason would be coronavirus and, and just the ways in which that upended all of our lives, obviously. And The world has changed, and it necessitated a change back to the U.S. as well. So when you started this, it was
0: right after the election, right? Right. Yeah, it was that November. This all seems like 10,000 years ago. But even though even though it took a while for a lot of this to unspool, like a lot of the issues that you both have highlighted and, and sort of came to define the coverage, those were set even during the campaign, right? I mean... When you came in to start writing this every day for CJR's audience, there was a lot about Trump and the press that
2: we already knew. Right. I mean, this is somebody that we had been familiar with. I had spent the winter of 2015-16 up in New Hampshire uh, going to rallies for various candidates and town halls for uh, the non-Trump candidates and then those big arena rallies for him. Um, And all of it was there, the the tweeting, the norm-breaking, the expectation that, okay, this is a uh, reality show figure. And if this becomes a serious political campaign, then he'll normalize. And that as uh, you know, unlikely as it seemed throughout much of the summer of 2016 into the fall, if somehow he did become president, well, the weight of the office would uh, sort of change this man into something more familiar to us, a political figure that um, would sort of fall if on the outer bounds, at least within the bounds of what we had come to know of how a president acts,
0: and it was almost like that was the hope of the political press. It's like, can God help us? Can he please sort of become a normal politician? I mean, and there seemed to, and this is one of the themes that both of you highlight in this piece that you wrote, but also highlighted every day and continue to in in these newsletters. But this kind of desire for him to just be normal and for the rules to sort of be normal and the way they've always been. There's a kind of like
2: Charlie Brown football sort of feel to it. Right. And I think it's worth remembering. I know, like you said, it does feel like ages ago, but it wasn't as if anybody was particularly preparing for a Trump presidency at this time, four years ago, uh, I think everyone had was thinking about how the campaign coverage had gone and recognizing that, uh, wow, this this guy really caught us unprepared. But there was an expectation that come November, things would go back to normal to some extent. Um, sort of like, I, I think we would argue, there's an expectation right now that uh, uh, in January of 2021, we're going to be back to a more normal presidency, um, which that is obviously tinged with the memory of of 2016. So no one's getting ahead of their skis, but uh, it was really a mad dash to try and figure out how do we cover this new administration? And there was basically 10 weeks to do it going into um, Inauguration Day. All
0: right, so let's bring in John. John also, uh, Pete uh, left in the fall of 2018. John took over and has been writing the Media Today newsletter since. John, welcome. Thank you. One of the secrets to the success of the newsletter is that John has a time zone advantage and that he lives and works in the UK, but also has a kind of different perspective on the whole thing because he, he has he's not kind of in the soup as much. At least that's part of what I think. So first off, are you just like completely drained and exhausted now?
1: And yeah, actually, I feel I still feel pretty um, non tired and and energized. But of course, we'll we'll wait for election day slash week slash month and and see how I'm feeling after that, I guess.
0: So what you guys have done in the last few weeks is go back and reread every single one of these newsletters from uh, the fall of 2016 to today. And you you start your piece by quoting. Chris Wallace, who who sort of embodies this notion that a lot of the political press just badly wants things to be normal, despite all the evidence over the last several years that it's just not. And he and, and you talk about how you know he sort of went into this uh, debate that he moderated um, between Trump and Biden, which was a disaster. Sort of going in thinking, well, I'm just going to be an umpire on the side. I'm going to let them do what they want, and then it was a terrible disaster. Uh, and then afterwards he was interviewed by the Times and he was he expressed sort of shock that it turned out that way. Which I read the same way you did was which was like like why would he expect otherwise? Like what was he thinking? But it just sort of it was a great way to start this whole conversation because it really spoke to how there's just this like desperate urge of some of the people who write about politics to just like read we mold it into the way it was before and it keeps happening again and again and again. Why is that? Why is there this, this kind of repeated reversion to a norm that just simply doesn't exist anymore?
1: So I think, I think there's, I think there's a few things to it. Um, Because it's one of, it's one of the sort of like
0: marquee, thoughts that you two have after having looked back at all this over these over these last few years is that, that that the the politics have dramatically changed, but the mindset of the people who write it hasn't.
1: Yeah, well I think I think in those early days of the Trump no not just of the Trump presidency, but after Trump won, when his sort of anti-media rhetoric, or at least the idea of his anti-media rhetoric coming from the you know, the bully pulpit of the presidency and not just from a sort of wild and undisciplined presidential candidate that everyone thought was going to lose. I think that was kind of a, a shocking moment. I think uh, maybe Pete has a different perspective on this because he was playing, paying, paying uh, slightly closer attention than I was uh, to sort of the whole media conversation at, at this point. Um, but my sense of it was that there was a real desperation to prove that, like, the traditional way of doing journalism if you just sort of doubled out, doubled down on it, and went after it really aggressively, could work in kind of constraining Trump or, or adequately holding him to account, right? I think that was the kind of thought in those early months was, um, yeah. And we quote Marty Baron in the piece, and I think he it was another another clarifying quote. This this idea of not being at war but at work, this kind of desperation to think that the normal kind of detached, quote unquote, unbiased, quote unquote, objective work of the press could actually be adequate against a figure like trump and 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 the answer was not to kind of do what the loudest voices on twitter wanted everyone to do which was kind of see him as a threat and and push back you know in a more um overt way um and i think and i think what we've seen over the last four years is kind of a parallel process of that of that um strategy really not working um and then particularly this summer i think after the killing of George Floyd, in, in particular, the the sort of conversation coming from uh, many journalists of color and their allies inside newsrooms, and, and I think particularly younger generations of journalists saying, actually, that, that kind of idea that you could constrain Trump through that old school, straight down the middle, you know, just the facts uh, um, approach to journalism was not only inadequate against Trump, it, Trump is kind of showing it up to be generally inadequate because all of its assumptions are premised on um the idea of a, a view from nowhere that just doesn't exist that is in fact kind of conditioned on the, the white male gaze and kind of set at the the higher echelons of the industry. Um so I think I think that's part of it. Um and I think that over the Trump presidency a lot of journalists have um clearly been disabused of the notion that that, that kind of, that Trump was going to be constrained or was going to change based on the kind of old rules of journalism. But I think that a lot of journalists clearly haven't abandoned that belief. Um, and yeah, and I think Chris Wallace and and that debate that you mentioned are, are a good example. Um, I, I thought it was quite staggering that he seemed, according to that Times interview with him, anyway, so shocked that it had gone so badly off the rails when Trump really came out and behaved, pretty much as as you would expect him to behave and as he has behaved, uh, many many times in in the past. Um, and and one quote I thought from that Chris Wallace interview that was really telling was he said something like, "Uh, you know, I've been I've been reflecting on it and I've been really thinking about about what went wrong." Uh, and then he just goes, oh, but actually, I think I handled it as well as I could. So so there we go. And I think that was that was kind of a metaphor for certain people in the media industry and not and, and by by no means just Chris Wallace. I don't just want to sort of pick on him here individually. It was kind of a metaphor for that broader sense of just not learning the lesson,
2: I think. Well, and I think when, Kyle, you asked this question about um, the old ways of doing things and why that has persisted, and there's. You know, there's inertia, there's institutional inertia in places like The Times and The Post and in the upper management there. But I also think it's worth going back to late 2016, early 2017 and remembering just how the media was as a whole getting beat up uh, from the left, from the right, from Trump. And there was this sort of feeling that I you know you remember all of these panels that would be held uh, at very various places, including at the Columbia Journalism School, about what went wrong or how we how we missed this. Um, and I think there was something of a defensive crouch that the media went into, especially as Trump and allies like Bannon continued to attack. And Trump tweeted out you know, the failing New York Times and the fake news and the enemy of the people, and Bannon called the media, the opposition party. um, There was sort of this shocked uh, reaction and this idea that, no, no, we didn't do things wrong. This is an anomaly. We just need to double down on what we've been doing and, um, you know, get out into Trump country, into the places that we didn't go during the campaign, Uh, you know, the parallels to the Clinton campaign being obvious. and that sort of obscured, uh, perhaps, these conversations that burst onto the scene in a real way in 2020 about maybe looking at the uh, the foundation of how we do things. So, what is your, for both of you, what is your prediction for
0: what happens after the election? Let's say Biden wins. What is the how? What is the, you know, what what is the media kind of? lesson learned here. Do you think that everyone is going to sort of like sigh and say thank god, now we can go back and do things the way we've always done it and and it just sort of reverts back to normal? Or do you think that um there's been enough sort of upheaval and trauma throughout this period that there will be a, there'll be a new way of approaching political coverage?
2: I suspect I know the answer but go ahead. <laughs> John, I feel like you should take this one. (laughs) OK,
1: listen, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily want to predict with any certainty what will happen, but the pessimistic view, which I think there is a lot of ground to hold, is that by and large, if Biden wins, the attitude will be a sigh of relief. Oh, you know, Trump, that's over. Thank goodness Trump is gone. He's just probably going to go off and, and tweet a bunch and maybe hold sort of like nostalgia rallies or whatever. But but Washington is back to normal and sort of the old norms, the rules of politics as they were have been restored. So we can just go back to the old practices of journalism and we're not really on a sort of emergency footing and you know we'll do you know it'll be fine to go to parties at the houses of administration officials again not that not that some washington journalists ever stop doing that in the trump era either um but you know i think i think that like it, it could kind of turn into this like new golden age of of like washington schmoozing right um mm. sort of the scream the squeamishness about doing it under trump to the extent that, that exists sort of goes away and, and everyone's like oh biden's a decent president this is a normal presidency quote unquote um you know that's fine, and and sort of the old rules apply, and 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 there might even be a sense of vindication, possibly, right? Like all of these people on Twitter and these media critics said we needed to sort of abandon what journalism stood for in order to beat Trumpism, but you know actually a traditional kind of old school approach was correct, and 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 you know we held Trump to account, and now he's gone. That that might that might factor into it. I think that's that's like the most pessimistic view, and I think there's a real chance that could that could happen. Though I don't think it will be uniform across the media industry, and I think it will become clear if it isn't already clear that this four year period has put a lot of, um, you know, has bought uh, bought a lot of genies out of a lot of of bottles that will be very hard to, um, that will be very hard to to put back. And I think the the best case scenario um, is that there's a moment of self reflection once the kind of, torrent of Trump news with which everyone is just seemingly scrambling to keep up at all hours. Um, it, you know, Once that abates and, and if the Biden presidency is a return to a slightly more sedate pace of the news, that there is an opportunity for journalists to think about how they covered the Trump era and to think, actually, you know, it's probably better to see Trump as a symptom of lots of stuff that's wrong with America and American politics and American institutions rather than rather than just kind of a unique, random Actor who caused chaos and is now is now gone. One thing I think that will be interesting to one place I think that will be interesting to look at is actually like, well, I, I was gonna say cable news, but I think in particular MSNBC, because I think that one broad truth about Biden is that he seems, and we don't obviously know the result yet, to have been able to quite convincingly unite a very broad coalition of anti-Trump people from um some actually fairly right-wing republicans historically through to people who are uh you know on the on the bernie left and by no means all people in those in those camps but but it's a it's a pretty broad coalition he's been been able to bring together and i think not just in msnbc either but like in in newspapers or sort of mainstream newspaper opinion pages too you're seeing um that coalition kind of reflected and i think that you have people appearing on msnbc as anti-trump voices um who are brought on to be anti-Trump voices but are not necessarily going to be pro-Biden voices and certainly not on every issue Um, I think I think it all goes to say that there has been this kind of coalescing um in the in the pundit class not just among reporters in this kind of anti-Trump understanding I guess and I think that if and when he leaves office whatever comes next you might not see that same kind of anti-Trump structure, you might actually start to see kind of fissures break out in these places. One well, one good example, I think, from the Trump era, which we which I think we reference in the piece, is when he um, assassinated Qasem Soleimani, um, Iran's top general, in January. You know, there was I felt the coverage was not perfect after that by any means, um, and, and I think Iran coverage is generally quite bad in U.S. media. But I think there was a hesitation. And a sense that like this was really dangerous and Trump was trying to escalate something that was not going to be contained. And I think it was a perfect example of, of something where making Trump the center of the story made people who would perhaps otherwise be um, quite pro some kind of escalation with Iran um, cautious of it because they were anti-Trump. If a similar thing were to happen under a Biden presidency, you'd lose that kind of anti-Trump gel. And the conversation, I think, would look
2: different. you You agree with that? I mean, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this this question of whether, at the end of these four years, and I, I guess we should restipulate that this is we're speaking hypothetically because we don't know if this will be the end of right. the Trump era uh, in the next several months. But right. I, I think there have been some changes, um, and, and some positive changes. Um, they may be happening at the margins, um, but I think, you know, for example, this uh, New York Post story has been handled with Far more care um, in the what Margaret Sullivan calls the reality-based press than uh, the Hillary emails of four years ago. I think there some of the conversations that have continued and amplified about objectivity will continue. Um, and you know, we talk in the, the piece about Trump adjacent issues. Um, one of them being the Harvey Weinstein, the fallout from Harvey Weinstein reporting and the Me Too movement, um, which are not directly related to Trump but uh, certainly have threads that, that tie it back to him. I, I think there is maybe reason to be slightly optimistic. Um, you know, you do see people saying Trump is, is, is not the, uh, the virus, he is a symptom of it. Um, there's been a, whether you want to date it to Spiro Agnew or the founding of Fox news, there's been a a movement on the right to delegitimize the media that's been going on for far longer than Trump has been tweeting. Um, And so there's a recognition that uh, at least among some, that the the world has shifted under our feet since the, uh, you know, era of three networks and, and a couple big newspapers and a good local news source. Uh, You know, I, I, I want to be cautiously optimistic, but in terms of the major ways in which we frame our coverage, in terms of uh, the people that are in charge of the major news networks, both print and television, I I end up not being able to quite convince myself that uh, enough fundamental things have changed, that a more traditional president isn't just going to result in a return to the way things used to be and a, of course sort of siloing off as these four years, uh, as something that, well, that was crazy. Um, and, and now we can go back to sort of the way things have do- always been done. What do you think, Kyle? I'm interested in, in sort of, uh, your 30,000 foot view of this.
0: Yeah, I think there's just incredible institutional inertia. And I think, I think we just, we, I think we have to sort of, fundamentally rethink political coverage and like who we're even covering. And, um, and and I think until that happens, it's going to, I think it's going to revert back. And in fact, I think you both make a good point. I mean, I think Biden is such a traditional figure and he's campaigning in part on let's just reassemble a broken country. Like, you know, he's like, this has been insane. We just have to get sort of get back to normal. And I think that kind of sensibility will percolate throughout. And I mean, he knows a lot of these uh, political reporters, and he knows a lot of these institutions. So I don't know. I mean, I've been reading um, Masha Gessen's book on authoritarianism, <laughs> and I mean, her whole thing is, you know, it's not the person; it's it's the system and it's the institution that's broken. And I and I sort of think that. I mean, in a way, you could argue that. A more fundamental change might come if Trump is reelected, where the press will basically say, like, OK, we're in for that now for another four years of this and just doing more of the same isn't working. So you, one could argue that. Now, I'm not wishing that to be the case, but I think that would that could sort of prompt a more fundamental reckoning than Biden coming in.
1: It's not like just Trump just came in and ripped up those norms and from a place where those norms were already healthy and successful, otherwise mm. I don't think he would have been able to do it um I think he spotted that they were decaying and they weren't you know the sort of America's existing institutional structure and political culture was actually not working for you know very many people and I think we need to go forward with that with that in mind um and I have to say, I find this kind of narrative about Biden and packing the court that's going on in the mainstream press at the moment, not just in in right wing media, to be potentially a kind of grim foreshadowing of what media coverage of a Biden presidency would hypothetically look like. You have mm-hmm. a process whereby the Republican Party, in an act of rank hypoc rank and obvious hypocrisy, is engineering a generational change to the uh, makeup of the Supreme Court in a way that's going to have enormous consequences for the fundamental rights of millions of Americans. Um, and that hypocrisy was kind of a story in the first weekend after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, and maybe in the days that followed. But I think the attitude now is essentially: while well, they can put her on the court, they have the institutional clout to do it, and and it's and the coverage has kind of given up. Whereas there's been this real like focus on what Biden would hypothetically do with the court if he were to win. Um, like on the day before um, Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation hearing opened it was kind of obsessively asked of every Democrat who appeared on the Sunday shows, oh, what's Biden's position on packing the court? Why won't he give an answer? Um, and I think I think part of it is just because it's kind of a new storyline to chase that doesn't involve Trump and all and all the rest of it. But I think it also carries this kind of deep assumption that an active institutional reform of that magnitude would be inappropriate or itself a destruction of norms, rather than something that should be whether you agree with it or not, part of a legitimate conversation about whether American democracy can become more responsive going forward. Um, and yeah, and, and I think and I that a Biden presidency were he to win would face not just an enormous array of public policy, urgent public policy challenges, but uh, yeah, an institutional fabric that is decayed because of Trump and also because of the reasons Trump was able to exploit that are much deeper seated. It won't just go away. Um, yeah. And I think there's going to have to be a shedding of that, Idea that if if um, Biden sort of pursues any reform efforts, that those are kind of somehow illegitimate or, or Trumpian, just because they they constitute a break with the status quo. The idea that Trump is bad because he break, only because he has broken the status quo is not one I think that is going to wash, and um, it is one unfortunately that I think many political reporters and pundits are susceptible to.
2: Well, I'm interested in I'm interested yeah. in what this uh, last few months I guess now. Uh, seven months, when you combine these major stories that have really taken over the media conversation of COVID and of racial justice protests, if they cause, or if they at least open the door to some of these structural and fundamental changes that we're talking about. Because, you know, as we looked at 2020, up until then, there had been sort of just a a scattershot, uh, I'm going to mix a ton of metaphors, but just an, an avalanche of news um, that wasn't tied together in yeah. any real meaningful thoughtful way and over the course of this summer a couple narratives um, really intersected with the presidential campaigns um, and maybe not so much in Washington insidery political reporting but in a lot of national coverage in a lot of coverage of race um, in a lot of science coverage I think there has been some really good work done um, I mean I, I take my cues often from sports media, just because it's where I, I spend my time if, uh, if I have the freedom to do so. And the way in which race and sports have been talked about and covered, um, both by journalists and by the sort of, um, sports punditry, um, just as night and day from where it was early in the Trump presidency, when you had him going after NFL players kneeling and Colin Kaepernick, um, and sort of the willingness to, uh, of political and national reporters and, and health reporters to cast aside a, a both sides idea about public health initiatives and, and proclamations by the president about masks or whatever, um, and sort of call call it as they see it without feeling the need to, to give into this sort of knee-jerk bipartisan both sides-ism. But again, if we get a vaccine and the coronavirus goes away and Uh, Some minor changes are made to policing and Joe Biden's in charge sort of being calm and and normal. Um, I don't know if those conversations will continue or if those shifts will uh, continue in a positive direction.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, part part of me wakes up every day and says, there's 220,000 people have died. (laughs) And some percentage of those people did not have to die you know, that should, we should just be sputtering in outrage and sort of unable to function because of that. Do you know what I mean? I mean, there is, to to me, there's even, I mean, there's even a kind of normalization of that and not to mention, you know, black people continuing to die at the hands of police. I mean, this week, 500 kids are sort of lost who were sort of separated from their parents at the border. And that goes on. And some of these kids have never seen their parents um, as, you know, they were taken as babies. And so I don't know. I mean, the ability to kind of, to just kind of uh, adapt this into our like, Oh, well that's politics um, is is still astonishing.
1: Yeah. Anyway. I think that um, I think that the norm, those normalization. Yeah. The normalization of those obscene things is while it's specifically new is not a generally new thing about the media or indeed right. like human psychology. And I think, uh, you know, Trump leaving office is not going to is not going to fix those problems clearly. But like Biden winning would in 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 a certain way, I think, be an opportunity for the media as a whole. Right? If you if you take as kind of a key media story of the Trump era, this general idea that we've all been very resource constrained, not just in the sense that the financial picture for news is terrible and was resource constrained in that way, but but just in terms of like time and attention, it's just really really hard to focus on anything that isn't Trump because we all seem to be obsessed with him and also because he just has perfected the art, whether intentional or not, of doing distracting nonsense behavior that we all chase. If you accept the premise, I don't think a Biden presidency will be you know, this kind of glorious halcyon picture of bipartisanship that sort of glides along with no problems, as some people seem to believe, but like if you accept the idea that he that a premise of his candidacy is I will be less visible and newsworthy and un, you know Ill, ill-disciplined as Trump, that in theory, while the news media industry is still not financially in a good place whatsoever, and, and and you know in a worsening one thanks to the pandemic, it does it does free up resources in the sense of time and attention. Right, it does free up yeah. a load of time that you could look at and think, oh, actually, this is time that we can use to report on climate change, or this is time we can use to tell the stories of people who needlessly died from the pandemic. I mean. If you, if you sort of, and I don't think Trump will just go away as a person or a media phenomenon, even if he does lose and, and leave office. But if you sort of extract him from the White House and him from the news cycle in the current sense, think about how much time and space that leaves for other stuff. And yeah, but
0: Trump will it be filled by coverage of superhero movies and the Yankees?
1: Or even um, coverage of Joe Biden's HUD secretary said something mildly critical on Meet the Press, let's have a three day news yeah. cycle about into, you know, internal divisions in the white house, but it is all an right. opportunity.
0: Well, this has been, this has been great, great to connect with both of you. And thanks for this piece. You can read the, their summary of all this work on CGR.org beginning on Friday. And then you can read John as he continues filing the daily email newsletter, the media today, and Pete, it's great to have you back on CGR. Great to be back. Thank you both. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.